With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Hey, it's Adam Carolla. We love having great guests on my show, like Jay Leno. The medic runs over and says to the driver, what's your name? How old are you? He goes, I'm Bob Riggle, 81 years old. And he taps me, he goes, what's your name? How old are you? And I said, I'm Bob Riggle, and I'm 81 years old. <laughs> Howie Mandel. If there's anything you could put off is a haircut. And don't take that from a bald guy, but nobody needs a haircut. And Jimmy Kimmel. We get the phone book, and we start calling people in Atlanta. And we reach this old man named Charlie Brown. We're looking up names like Charlie Brown. <laughs> so check out the Adam Carolla Show on Podcast One. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the games, fam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're back on a Thursday morning. Baby's not here yet for me, Sam, but tomorrow's the day. Baby's going to be here. Mm, yeah. Um, like it's a, it's in a scheduled appointment time. Tyler was wondering how you could be so specific with your forecasting, but uh, yeah. experience. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. When you're Definitely. four deep, you just know the signs. You can tell the day. Yeah. There was a little scare the other night. Um, there was a couple contractions and then I said, honey, uh, I have a big meeting with Neil tomorrow. And then right. all of a sudden they went away. So, you know, got the meeting out of the way. All that means is Monday, I won't be here. I don't think so, but I kind of will be because we pre-recorded Joe Montana versus Steve Young. That's going to be right. the Monday podcast. I listened to it again yesterday. I really think it is fantastic. Good work by you and especially good work by Tyler putting all the audio together. Yeah, so finally we get to put that out. It'll be Monday. We'll we have a tease for it that we'll play out this show with. Um, but Monday will be the Steve Mon or Steve Montana, Joe Montana versus Steve Young podcast. Uh, for anybody that was a big fan of the Randy Moss podcast, the '98 oral history thing, um, if you haven't listened to that, go back in our feed, find it. It's from June something or other, fourth uh, maybe. Um, find that listen to it but most of the feedback we got from that was it was amazing but it could be longer good news this one is longer it's i think 41 minutes was the final cut so it's up like 15 plus minutes from the randy moss thing uh so like it's exactly what people were asking for i think it's great i think this is the best one we've done so far out of the two um yeah best of two getting better every time steve that's what we're shooting Mm -hmm. for here but uh yeah listen to it on monday and let us know what you think Yep. Check it out Monday. Joe Montana, Steve Young. Think it'll be great. Right now, today, we'll talk uh, a little bit of current NFL news, starting, of course, with the Patrick Mahomes contract, half a billion dollars over the course of a 10-year extension. We'll talk a little Sam Darnold in a make-or-break year that you wrote uh, over at PFF.com. And then uh, we'll see wherever else we go discussing all things NFL. But let's start with Mahomes, man. Yeah, the, the contract negotiated by Lee Steinberg who's going to be on the Monday podcast. How about that? Timely. Right. 
very timely that uh, that Lee um, Lee was the agent for whom uh, Steve Jerry Maguire. Well, but, yeah, but Jerry Maguire, the movie was kind of right uh, inspired by uh, the agent that you know has the top guys and making all the money. With Steve Young's agent was was huge uh, in the eighties and nineties, and then you know fell off with his, with some alcohol problems. Uh, disappeared for a bit, and now he's uh, rejuvenated his career with Patrick Mahomes. He's got Tua uh, and a few other guys. So obviously Mahomes being uh, the the big name there. Uh, this this contract, a ten year extension through two thousand thirty one. What was your initial thought? What would what what did you make of uh, the initial reports when they said Mahomes had a ten year extension? Yeah, I mean the initial thought is obviously wow, like it's crazy the. 10 year thing was is fairly unprecedented it's it's pretty nuts um and then then comes the waiting game right to find out what this actually looks like because that's always key to these things everyone wants to do this knee-jerk instant reaction and this deal i it's almost like lee was playing with everybody because the the information was sort of dripping out after the initial report Patrick Mahomes signs this giant 10-year extension with the Chiefs, and it's like, wow, what's the money? What's the money? 10 years from Mahomes, it must be insane. And then it just kept like coming out bit by bit, you know, like the, the full details didn't come out as one, which is what usually happens. It was like tiny piece of information, tiny piece of information, series of Schefter tweets, getting more and more information. Um, and I think like he's getting a lot of criticism for signing essentially too cheaply. You know, the, that this is a win for the chiefs, but not for Mahomes. I don't, that's not the way I see it. What about you? I, I think it's, I think it's one of those that's, that's, that's good for both. I think from a player perspective, look, I mean, we we're supposed to analyze this stuff from a team perspective first. I think, I think we instinctively do that as analysts or as fans, because, uh, because that's the fun part. Like nobody, nobody cares. I'm putting air quotes there. How much money Patrick Mahomes or the players make? People care about how much it affects the cap and how it affects how much you get, how much you're going to win. Essentially, how much? Because the, the fans care more about winning than they do Patrick Mahomes' bank account, right? So that's the first instinct is to do it from a team standpoint. And then when you look at it from the player standpoint, it's like, all right, did he leave money on the table? Did he? maximize his value and all I'm going to say is I don't think every player needs to maximize every possible dollar now there's an argument to be made that players owe it to the next player right if another Patrick Mahomes say Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields is as good as Patrick Mahomes in a couple years does Patrick Mahomes negotiating a blockbuster deal that maximizes every dollar does that kind of set the table for the next guy to do that as well um, there's an argument to be had there from the players union standpoint, but from Mahomes' standpoint, it's like, okay, two things can happen here. First off, I'm set for life. And what's the difference being set for life with 150 million, 400 million, 500 million, 800 million. Is there a difference there? Unless your goal is to, you know, buy the chiefs. Right. Or uh, is, is that, that's one goal. And then, Hey, go ahead and be a good football player uh, on a very good team and, and win a whole lot of football games. And if you do that, by the way, there'll be plenty of other money coming in as well. Uh, you have 12 years to then figure out what your other business plan is, create your you know, PM15 or whatever you want to do there. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it was fine for Mahomes. We might be sitting here five years from now and being like, man, look at how underpaid he is. But I think security is extremely valuable. I, I actually think it was even better than fine. Um, I, the first thing is I do think it's a team friendly deal, which is what usually sets the, those things, um, those kind of comments going, right? It's, well, this is good for the team. Therefore it can't be good for the player. Uh, he obviously lost the negotiation because it's a battle. It's one or the other. Um, it's good for the team because a, it's an extension. So it tacks on to the back end of the contract that they already had. The chiefs have been, basically working on this forever like they if reports are to be be believed they knew immediately the Mahomes was as good as he was going to be um to the point where they were planning long term from his rookie season remember the rookie season was the year he didn't play like he got one meaningless seven week 17 game 
and looked good. They apparently already knew at that point. They were putting plans in place for his sort of for the succession, the long-term roster building and his contract from that point. Like Alex Smith playing at the level he did that year probably scuppered the plans to throw Mahomes in at some point. But like that's how long the Chiefs have essentially been planning this. So to have an extension means that everything they already had planned still functions because they knew that was going to be the case anyway. Then you have all the new money. Now they get 10 years of certainty. They know what the number is going to be for 10 years. They can plan everything around that. It wasn't tied to the cap the way a lot of people said that it must. If it's going to be a 10-year deal, they have to tie it as a percentage of the salary cap. Otherwise, the player has to be getting screwed. So they avoided that. It's not tied to the salary cap. They don't have to deal with that. If the salary cap inflates massively, they effectively end up with some kind of bargain. Um, But the reason it's really good for Mahomes as well, quite aside from the fact that like the numbers are nuts, right? Half a billion dollars. That's pretty good. Um, You know, people were focusing on the total guaranteed money is like 140 million total, right? Which for 10 years... It's pretty crappy. Like Ryan Tannehill got 60 something million guaranteed this offseason off the back of seven games or whatever. So by comparison, like Tannehill's got almost half the guaranteed money that Mahomes did off a fraction of the performance, a fraction of the ability and a fraction of the contract duration. So from that point of view, it looks really bad for Mahomes. But that's just the money that's like literally guaranteed for injury in practical terms, almost the entirety of this contract is guaranteed because while the chiefs can get out after whatever it is, two, three years, um, when that, when the sort of option to, the, to get rid of him does manifest, they start this series of guarantees where the, the contract, um, the money guarantees a year and then two years before. So while in theory they can escape from it, there's no point where they can do it without paying an absolutely massive amount of money and eating the dead cat money, right? right? Now, that may end up being the lesser of two evils if Patrick Mahomes, God forbid, like breaks a hip and can't play anymore. Like at some point it may actually be that they have to eat whatever giant sum of cash and cap space that is because he can't play. Like he's literally not on the Ross or can't be a football player for them anymore. But that's what has to happen for them to ever get out of this deal. So like in practical terms, he's probably going to earn every last dollar in this contract, at which point he's banking, at which point like the safety of knowing that you're taking home the better part of half a billion dollars, I would suggest is in these uncertain times is well worth whatever little increment you could get by having a shorter deal and making a little bit more money. Yeah. I, the, the part about the guaranteed money though, too, I do think people focus on it too much because the guaranteed money is spread out over the course of the contract, right? Essentially. And as soon as he play, you know, as soon as he's on the team in 2021 and 22 and 23, which he's likely to be right you add a lot of money to that, to that just guaranteed bottom line. You know, the, um, th- that's the issue I have, like with free agency guaranteed money and stuff like that. Those are shorter deals. Those are three-year deals and all that stuff. It's like, well, it's only X amount guaranteed. Well, as soon as they make that 20 million this year, you tack that onto it. And as soon as they make 20 million next year, you tack that onto it. Um, it does give you potentially less security, but as you say, um, you know, he doesn't have to play that long to, to, to lock it all in. So, um, Look, look, I think it's good for Mahomes. I think it's I think it's a it's a it's a good deal for both sides, which yeah, you don't always get. I mean, for an example of how bad the hit becomes if the Chiefs want to get out of this. If they try and get out after, let's say, twenty twenty four, they would have eighty million dollars on the hook for twenty twenty five to not have Patrick Mahomes on the roster. Like, so that's the kind of the hit they they would have to take at some point to get out of this deal, at which point, I mean, you're talking about a guaranteed contract. You're talking about, it might not be written in stone, but basically the only way this is not going to the end is one of two things. Either they end up renegotiating at some point anyway to change the structure, at which point he's probably earning the money anyway, or he gets the kind of catastrophic injury or catastrophic downturn in ability, which seems unlikely, that they are willing to take like an $80 million hit to get rid of him. So I, I think for Mahomes, he's essentially going to get 
the entirety of this. The other thing I think that is interesting is, you know, again, like if you're not focusing on this idea of maximizing every last possible dollar you could earn, like if you're Mahomes, this this Brady hometown discount thing has been, you know, uh, one of the features of the last 10 years, right? Drew Brees has kind of been maximizing every last dollar, whereas Brady has taken, you know, more modest contracts and they've been able to do more with that, right? It's It's maybe overblown sometimes, but we worked out that the difference was like essentially getting yourself a slot receiver for free every year, right? That's what Brady taking a cheaper contract enabled the Patriots to do for a long period of time. If you're Mahomes and you've already essentially guaranteed yourself half a billion dollars, you might actually be keen on the idea of, you know, the back three, four years of this contract are cheap. And I get a sort of, I get a boost. The team gets a boost. So, you know, if we haven't necessarily won two, three more Super Bowls at that point, we get a little bit of a better chance to win them because I've given the team a little bit of a discount late in my career. Like that might actually be a conscious planned thing. And if not, it's probably an ancillary side benefit. Here's the other thing from, say, the Chiefs point of view, right? You know, we always we always look back from hindsight analysis, say like Philip Rivers and Eli Manning that trade on draft day. It's, I think if you were evaluating Philip Rivers versus Eli Manning over the course of their careers, Philip Rivers has been a better quarterback. Would the Giants ever redo that draft? I, we may have even had our own, a few of our own guys saying, well, what if the Giants just kept Philip Rivers? How, look how much better off they would be. And I'm like, no, no, no. That, to me, that is not the way to do it because we already know what happened. The Giants would never make that move. Would you ever go back and say, you got Philip Rivers and then indecision over the next 15 years, or you could take Eli Manning, have a whole bunch of non-playoff seasons, but be guaranteed two championships. I think you take Eli Manning every single time, and you, you're guaranteed those two championships. I think with the Mahomes thing, of course there's no, there's no guarantee of championships. But if you have him locked up for 12 more years, there's probably a pretty good chance that you're going to win at least one more Super Bowl. And even just one more um, in one of these next few years where – He's only given you know, 2% of the cap and 11.5% of the cap and 13.8%. You know, those are relative, relatively cheap deals at the moment over the next few years. That is going to give you an immediate potential return from a Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl uh, potential, especially while Tyreek Hill is there, while Travis Kelsey is there, while Andy Reid is still there, right? So I think to me, if you're the Chiefs and you're like, look, you might have to take a hit. I mean, you're taking a risk on 34, 35, 36-year-old Patrick Mahomes. Imagine what that even sounds like right now. Who the heck knows what he's going to be like? But if you win another championship in 2022, 23, 24, or two of them, to me, it's all worth it. You're sitting there eight years later like, all right, we're still paying for these couple championships that we won previously. But I think it's worth it. I think it's all worth it if you look at it from a big-picture big standpoint. Yeah, like the Patriots have kind of broken – the perspective of how how hard it is to win Super Bowls. You know, we think this idea that, well, Patrick Mahomes is great, the Chiefs are great, they're the Super Bowl champions, they're going to win another five in the next 12 years of Mahomes' career. Like, w- one of the things from doing this Montana versus Young thing, I think, was it's just how hard it is to win these things. I know that sounds crazy, right? Because the 49ers won five of them in whatever that was, like a 12-year stretch. Right. Um, but when you look at, like, that that was the dominant team of that era. And yet they kept having these other great teams surface at the same time, making it hard for them to just win, you know, a Patriots level run of Super Bowls because, you know, the, the Montana wins his first one in 81, but then like 85, the, the 85 bears show up, right? That that's a roadblock. Those Bill Parcells, New York giants teams show up and that's, that's a massive roadblock. The, Dallas Cowboys um, dynasty emerges the the early nineties the um, the Green Bay Packers with Brett Favre emerge like that's what starts throwing roadblocks in front of Steve Young's Forty ers like it's just it's damn hard to win Super Bowls so the Chiefs are now in the best position of any team in the NFL to win them because they have the best quarterback in the league and a great offense and they know they've got the best quarterback in the league probably for the next decade. But that doesn't mean they're going to win, you know, X number of additional Super Bowls. It's still going to be a challenge. And yeah. at least the team now has the certainty of knowing what they're working with, right? They they know they have this great advantage of the quarterback 
and they know how much it's going to cost for the next 12 years. So they can plan around that and actually do it in a sensible fashion. Yeah, so I completely agree with all that. Um, it is very difficult to win Super Bowls. You know, the Chiefs are going to be the team that, you know, probably gets a bye more often than not. You know, they're going to get home playoff games, and then you just kind of see what happens. Let's also not forget, you know, with eight minutes left in the Super Bowl, they're down 10. Um, and while it took a Patrick Mahomes comeback, you know, he didn't play great up until that point to get there. So, yeah, it was a fine line. It was, it was a very close game um, that easily could have gone, you know, the other way. So, yeah, it's not easy. Uh, to win all those Super Bowls. There is some fallout, some question marks about now, how does this affect Dak Prescott's contract? And I don't know that it does. I mean, I don't think, I don't think Dak in his right mind is looking at this being like, I need that Patrick Mahomes money. I know, I don't think Dallas is like, man, we got to go pay our Patrick Mahomes ask Dak Prescott. And I don't think that Dak was ever going to be in line for anything like this. This is one of those rare, all right, dude, you're here for life. You know, Dak's going to sign a four, yeah. sign what a four-year deal, something a three or four-year deal. And if that's the case, Mahomes' first few years aren't affecting that at all when he's making twenty-four million, thirty-one million, forty-two million. It's only if, like it's not, it's not like Mahomes is getting paid seventy million a couple of years from now, and all of a sudden Dak's like, all right, I need at least sixty. It, I don't think it's changing the short-term economics of a Dak deal. What are your thoughts? I don't think it's affecting any deal that isn't for a quarterback that's like Mahomes, right? So the, yeah. you're not handing this type of deal to any quarterback that you're not certain is probably the best quarterback in the NFL for the next decade. Like the only guy I can see right now that has a shot of earning this contract is Lamar Jackson. If Lamar yes. comes out and backs up last year's season with another one that's the same and then another one after that, like maybe Lamar gets a deal that looks like this. But Dak Prescott's never getting a deal that looks like this. Um, even I, I just don't, I don't see anybody else that's. I mean, maybe Kyler Murray if he becomes MVP caliber this year and looks like the next great quarterback, Kyler Murray could be in line for a deal like this. But this is like you need to be certain that this guy is the greatest quarterback in the NFL at the time and is going to be for the next decade. If you're going to even think about a deal like this, Dak Prescott. Like he's, he's going to get a more conventional contract if it gets hammered out, right? He's either, from the sounds of it, the Cowboys are trying to get him locked up as long as they can. And I think Dak wants a deal that's more like a Kirk Cousins contract where he gets a much shorter deal, you know, guaranteed. And guaranteed. then he gets a chance to take a second bite at it in a few years time. Like that's the contract they're working on. So I agree with you. I don't think this affects the Dak contract at all, really, unless you know, the, the average per year, what, 45 million or whatever it is. I mean, that has to have some kind of incremental push in the, the overall numbers that Dak's going to shoot for, but I think they were already pretty massive. Um, so yeah, generally I don't think that this contract is affecting many quarterback contracts in the NFL, and, but it does set a precedent for what like the next great quarterback contra or contract could look like. So the, I, I'm going to say it delicately with Lamar. There is a perception because Lamar uses his legs as often as he does that there's more of an injury concern, despite him being extremely durable throughout his career at Louisville and uh, Baltimore. So I do wonder, uh, even if even with all the progression that he's made as a passer, he is not the passer that Patrick Mahomes is. I think that's pretty fair to say consistently year in, year out. I don't expect them to be the same player. So I don't know if Lamar, who is special because he rush, rushes for a thousand yards. Like if you just isolate his passing last year, he's good. And if he does that going forward, he's good with his rushing ability. He's great. I don't know how you lock him up for more than seven or eight years because it's not even just an injury thing. It's just, you lose right. a step. It's just the nature of um, it, it's just like a running back. It's just like a receiver. Like you lose athleticism. You don't necessarily lose arm strength and passing ability. And, and again, we see quarterbacks, play longer and longer and longer the idea of Patrick Mahomes at 36 this would be like okay back in 2006 Ben Roethlisberger you're going to get a 10-year extension or Philip Rivers is going to get a 10-year extension Eli Manning is going to get a 10-year extension those types of guys and Rivers declined a little bit Roethlisberger's declined a little bit Eli declined but like you know, Roethlisberger and Rivers were still pretty good they're still productive at 35 36 37 years old so it's not that risky you don't have a definitely don't have a history of a quarterback with that type of rushing ability doing it for 12, 13, 14 years. 
You're right. That would be the concern is that it's not, I don't, yeah, I, I'm the injury thing. I, I, I personally wouldn't factor in massively for Lamar. I would be more concerned about, well, how long can he do this for? Because yeah. as much as quarterbacks are playing longer and longer now, athletic quarterbacks haven't had the same, um, the same extension of their careers. Like, I mean, Michael Vick has to be the, the immediate comp, right? Because it's as close as we've seen. And Michael Vick was, he last played in 2015. He last played seriously in like what, 2013, 2014. So that was when he was 33, 34. Now, I mean, he's 40 now, right? Like Michael right. Vick, Michael Vick's younger than Tom Brady and Drew Brees. Um, yeah. And and he's been out of the league for five years. So that would be the concern is if you hand Lamar a 10 year extension, what does he look like in the back three, four years of that when he's, you know, into his, it well into his thirties that would, but I think that in terms of like, it might not be the exact same deal, but maybe Lamar could get like a seven year extension instead of a 10 year extension. You know, the, the point is I think that he could be the sort of transcendent talent where you're willing to structure a deal that looks a little bit like this. Now, just to wrap it up on Mahomes, because, because nuance is not appreciated anywhere again, we are going to be sitting here in 2022. People are going to be talking about Patrick Mahomes in, in, a, in his current state as an absolute bargain, at least until 2027. I mean, that's the reality. If you look at his contract structure, it, it's, it, it doesn't get over 42.4 million until 2027. It jumps up to 59 out of nowhere. And then it kind of tapers down a little bit. It's kind of almost bell curvish. So, um, we're going to be talking about him in 20, I mean, 2020, his cap number is a little over five. So they still have the flexibility of the last year of, you know, the, the end, the tail end of his uh, rookie deal jumps up to 24 to finalize the, the end of his rookie deal. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then 31, 42, 39, nine. I mean, we're going to be sitting there in 2024 saying, well, Dak Prescott's making 48 and Kirk cousins making 52 and, Tom Brady's making 60 because he's still playing, whatever it is, right? And you're going to be like, well, Patrick Mahomes is still only making $39 million. So no matter how much we say, if you really look at the details of it, it's pretty good for Mahomes and the upfront security is worth it and the long-term security for the Chiefs is worth it. It's a good negotiation for both sides. For the next five years, six years, as we analyze this stuff, we're going to look back and be like, man, what a bargain because – so-and-so just got a ridiculous contract or whatever it might be. That's the reality of, I think, where the conversation is going to be, though, year to year. I don't know how quick that's going to come, though, because, like, I, he's way ahead in terms of, um, you know, average salary. Now, I know the average takes into account the back end of this stuff, yeah. um, like, which where the numbers do jump up. But, like, Russell Wilson is the next highest, and obviously he's the, the last big quarterback con- or contract that got signed um and he's 10 million a year lower like he's at 35 million a year versus 45 so i mean even if you forget the 45 thing because that's the back end you're talking about basically that average of just uh, around 40 like there's there's 5 million on, on a year on average that we need to bridge before we get to the before we get to where mahomes is now let alone making that a bargain so i, I think there's a i think there's a while before those contracts make Patrick Mahomes deal look cheap I think that's going to be a healthy contract among the the best paid quarterbacks in the NFL for a good few years all right what's your prediction prediction Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs how many Lombardi trophies Uh, so the course of this contract 12 years I think they win two more and they play in yeah and they play in Say, let's say four more. So Patrick Mahomes, they're going to play in four more. So he's going to be playing four more and win two of them. He's going to be three and two in Super Bowls over the course of his Chiefs career through 2031. Yes, I think that's right. I was going to say that they win three total. I think is fair. I could see that. Okay, happening. And then how many are they getting to? Six. Wow, one more than you. They get to six. They should win it when they get there, though, don't you think? They, I mean, the thing, yeah. Well, the crazy thing is, like, I mean, he's like a play away from being in two already, 
<laughs> oh, I know. He's basically yeah. a play away from being two for two um, in Super Bowls in terms of seasons he's played. Like, right. as much as we, we were saying it's, it's insanely hard to win Super Bowls. I mean, Brady showed that, right? The Patriots and Brady is the greatest combination that we've seen. And they went on a dry spell where they couldn't get there for like the middle of his career, right? We, we were like, well, maybe Brady isn't this clutch in, in the playoffs. And then the back end happened and, you know, but like, it's, it's so insanely hard to do this. And yet Patrick Mahomes is like a, a boneheaded offside decision from D Ford away from being two for two in Super Bowls. And who the hell knows if he'd have won it, but like, he is talented enough where they could be in the Super Bowl every single season for the next 10 years. Like he yeah, is that insanely uh, talented and, and insane ability. Um, and, you know, the Chiefs now know what they're dealing with. Like as much as we're predicting this idea that he might only win two more in the next 12 years, they could be in the Super Bowl basically every single season barring the, freak mishaps. The thing I want to see, though, um, again, not to take anything away from Patrick Mahomes, but Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. We always talk about how you've got a mid-tier quarterback that can get elevated by great playmakers. You take the high-end quarterbacks and you give them great playmakers and it becomes special. That has been Mahomes the first two years. If he doesn't have that, if the Chiefs do have missteps along the way, um, and, and their mentality seems right. The fact that they were ready to trade up for Henry Ruggs and they drafted Nicole Hardman in 2019, whether that was Tyreek Hill insurance or not, or if it was just add more speed and before you know it, he's averaging 25 per catch. The mentality seems right. You know, load this, load up with playmakers. And I'll say that is uh, a little bit of the difference between, say, like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady until Brady finally got Randy Moss and Wes Welker. The Colts had Peyton Manning and they were loading him up with first round offensive players over and over and over again. I think that's going to be the Chiefs' mentality is to continue to add to the offense. You know, say what you want about drafting a running back in the first round, they went offense, right? Edwards Alaire. They went with a guy that's going to make their offense more dangerous um, in their mind. So I think they've got the right mentality. However, I am interested to see Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, if they slow down or something happens with them, how do those guys get replaced? What happens when Mahomes, at some point, he won't have a top three to five group of playmakers and play caller, if not, you know, maybe top one. Um, right now it's crazy dangerous because of that. Once that supporting cast drops a little bit, how much more difficult does it become? Well, what happens, I think when you, when you sign a quarterback to one of these deals that stresses your, your salary cap, I think what it does is put you in a position where you now need to draft pretty well, um, at least in certain positions, because you don't have the money available to go nuts in free agency and patch up the areas where you have failed, right? So if you swing and a miss in a couple of consecutive spots, or if you swing and a miss in, a, in an area consistently, you just don't have the money to fix that. So right. the Vikings and Kirk Cousins, I think, are an example where they just, they don't, they're never, um, they're never in cap hell. They're never like in a disastrous situation, but they're consistently squeezed to the point where if they, take a swing and miss several times over at a spot, they're just screwed at that position. Like they don't have a fix. Um, so the chiefs and Mahomes are now in the spot. I think where I think they can keep going. They can keep this really, they can keep a talented roster around him with enough playmakers and enough offensive weapons. But if they go like consecutive years of taking a receiver in the first round, that guy doesn't work out. Now you've got some problems because you don't have the money to go fix it in free agency. You don't have, um, you don't have the wiggle room to to be you know to bat worse than anybody else when it comes to drafting all right before we get into a little bit of sam darnold and his make or break season a little note from our friends over at bet online they are keeping you keeping you in the loop as sports are coming back they keep coming sports are creeping back toward being around sam not average just being here and that's your chance to bet with them bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner bet online and with a massive UFC event this weekend, you've got NASCAR, Formula One, EPL. They're all in full swing. There's no shortage of ways to get in on the action. Need more? Bet Online has simulated NFL Madden games. That's right. NBA 2K. Uh, it's awesome. Simulated Madden? Have you bet on any of those yet? 
Uh, UFC is happening would... every day live for you to watch and wager on. So as sports get closer to returning, Bet Online has futures odds on everything you can imagine, season win totals, division odds, and even odds on every league championship. Visit betonline.ag or use your mobile device to join now and use promo code PODCAST1 to receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner at Podcast One, Bet Online, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for free, a free account. Wow, that's awesome. Make sure you use the promo code Podcast One for your sign up bonus. So you get a sign up for free and you get a bonus. All you have to use is the promo code Podcast One. That's Bet Online. Yeah. I haven't been on the simulated Madden games, but I would be willing to bet that Eric has during this lockdown. That's true. We should definitely see if he has um i wonder how real they are that's fascinating right because you have to know to put odds on that you can't just do it the way an nfl game but you have to know the madden engine and the rating you know the ratings and all that stuff to put odds on that right but bet online's doing it podcast one's your promo code bet online is it no longer I'm, i'm a little confused by this copy here sam Oh yeah, it's not betonline.ag, but check it out. Go to Bet Online. Podcast One's the promo code. All right, you want to get in? Uh, you wrote on the site today, uh, this week, pff.com. Sam Darnold, make or break season for him. There's other guys too. We talked about Baker Mayfield. Uh, get your bingo card ready. Josh Allen, I would say, might be a make or break season. Uh, by the way, our first YouTube comments. <laughs> First thing to discuss, Josh Allen, potential half a billion dollar contract. Yeah, there was, was a... It, uh, was it you that responded was, to that article? Yes. Um, uh, what, what Was it the Buffalo News or one of those? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, the Buffalo News. So the Buffalo News tweeted an article that said, don't expect Josh Allen's next contract to look anything like Mahomes' deal. To which I quote tweeted, don't worry, I don't. I mean, <laughs> of all the people out there that are you know, in this realm of the next great quarterback deal, like Josh Allen is not there. So, yeah, I don't expect Josh Allen to be getting a half billion dollar practically guaranteed contract. Um, I barely expect Josh Allen to be getting the next deal at this point. Like he's, it's interesting, that group of quarterbacks, you know, Lamar proved it last year. So he just has to sort of sustain, I guess. But the rest of them, I mean, Rosen has already cracked out through, I, not necessarily any fault of his own. Um, but then you've got Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, all of whom are entering 2020 with varying degrees of, all right, now's the year you actually need to show something. And even the Josh Allen supporters, you know, the guys that really defend him, like they don't make the case he's great now. It's like he took a big step forward year one to year two. So if he takes another big step forward, he's good. Um, but as yeah. we pointed out, A, it doesn't always work that way. Like, it's not just this linear step, step, step example, Baker Mayfield. Um, and B, like, he needs to make that step. Otherwise, your argument is invalid, right? So he's under pressure to take that next step. Baker Mayfield is under pressure to reverse what the hell happened to him last season and prove that he can still be a franchise quarterback. And then Darnold is the guy that's under pressure to just show something ever at any point. Um, and I, I started this article and I, my mind was sort of, you know, we start writing these things and think, well, I have a bunch of uh, like videos, little gifts of big throws and then the bad. And, and I was just writing it. I was like, there's no point because right. the entire purpose of his uh, analysis, basically from college right up until this, is he's just wildly inconsistent. Like he's capable of great things, he's capable of terrible things. But the point is that no collection of highlights or lowlights tells you an accurate picture about what Sam Darnold is right now. Like he is, he is the totality of the evidence, which is to say crazy inconsistency and no pattern to it. So Darnold is to, for me, for my own evaluations, I think I'm in danger or he's in danger of making me look like the guy who got caught up in the can do what can he do? Right. right? So you, as you mentioned, you know, the highlights are great. I saw him as a redshirt freshman make – I used a Philip Rivers comparison for him when I did the draft evaluation because 
Philip Rivers does not have a great arm. We know that. He's had a better arm in the past, but the guy just throws with anticipation, throws the ball early, sees the field, all that stuff. Darnold had such a feel for throwing the ball over the middle of the field. And he had that late game it factor, which we've we talked about we're going to talk about on the Montana uh, podcast. Like that was Montana in college and in the NFL. And Brady had it in college in the NFL. And it's, it's one of those, if you recognize it in college, it's not, it doesn't mean you definitely have it in the NFL, but it's a good thing to see. And Donald had that early on in college, uh, Rose Bowl against Penn State. Uh, Saquon Barkley's making the comeback for Penn State. And Donald is, is just firing right back. Anticipation post route over the middle of the field, puts USC in position for a comeback. Uh, he, he completely turned that team around that season as a redshirt freshman. And then his sophomore year, I know you pointed out in the article, if you take away three games, he's a top three quarterback in college football. But if you just focus on three games, he's the worst, the absolute worst in of every quarterback in college. So um, when you add it all up, he was still good. His overall grades were good. They were fine. And he showed all the can do anticipation, short area accuracy, a little bit some outside the pocket playmaking magic, like magic. He, he ticked the can he do it boxes pretty often, I think. Um, and his NFL career has been similar. And so, yeah, I, you're calling it make or break. And, but personally, I just don't know what we're going to see this year, right? As we go through, I'm going, we're going through each team and you're doing some of it and I'm doing some of it. We're going through each team. We're ranking all of these units and they have one of the worst receiving cores their tight end group because Chris Herndon's coming back middle of the pack, maybe in their offensive line, as we mentioned the other day is 27th. So how is he going to show improvement this year? How is it actually going to happen? Well, the big thing is that there's no, there's no split of data that you can make him look good in. Um, like there's no data point. There's no, stat there's nothing there's no category in which he is above average in basically anything for the entirety of his nfl career and you know there's some very real caveats to the situation that he's been dealing with right because the guy caught mono for god's sake last season so caught mono had some injuries he's been in a bad system in terms of um in terms of scheme he's been in a bad system in terms of offensive line the receivers haven't been great like there were a lot of outside influences that will negatively affect what he's been doing. Um, and I think it's a very fair thing to say, all right, toss out basically the first half of last season. Catches Mono, dealing with a bunch of injuries. Who the hell knows how long Mono affects quarterbacks? You know, like, that's – even though he was back, who the hell – like, we don't know if he was 100%, how he felt, can I, whatever. Can I relate it to my baseball career when I had Mono? Oh, God, sure. All right. Let me, let me paint a dramatic picture here. I'm heading into my junior year at UMass Lowell. And Sam, you joke about me getting passed over 4,500 times in the draft. Yeah, it happened. Mm. But your yeah. junior year, that's like your big year. That's, that's your big draft year. I'm coming off a great sophomore season. I'm 6'10". It was probably 6'8 at the time. Started throwing harder. I mean, I was, a, I was on the radar. And this is going to be my big year. Little in- velocity increase and all this stuff. And I get mono during our eight-week preseason. So I missed the first five weeks of practice, whatever it was. Couldn't throw, couldn't do anything. And I come out the first game of the season, I'm throwing like 84, 85, 86. It's just not enough, just not good. And I think it affected my velocity the entire season. Never got the arm strength back. Never got drafted and got that big signing bonus. Hmm. All because of mono. It affected my entire junior season back in 2000 your career. It still pitched it still pitched well i was still fine but the velocity wasn't there also could have been i was just so overworked as a sophomore my arm was dead and it took a year to kind of recover but all those things added up so i can relate to yeah. sam so so mono for you is a career-ending injury no because i bounced back from it i, I did bounce back it just took some time we well, bounced back and path. You bounce back to the point of being passed over 4,500 times. Like, that's not bouncing back. No, I bounced back by being an undrafted you, free agent who came out of nowhere. You bounced back the way Dante Culpepper bounced back from his knee injury. Like, sure, he oh, played again, but didn't no. look the same. I worked my way from undrafted free agent all the way up to AAA, uh, knocking on the door of the big leagues, got to sit in a big league bullpen twice, 
Uh-huh. Major league pitcher I was. So that doesn't yeah. sound like bouncing back too much. Real anyway, Cinderella story. Sorry. I, I think Sorry it's fair to again. say that you can probably toss the first half of last season out the window in terms of evaluation. Just say, look, right. mono injuries wasn't him. Let's get rid of that. And he was bad in that first half. But like, turning, the, so getting rid of that first half of the year definitely helps. It definitely improves things in terms of his numbers, in terms of his grade, but it doesn't make them good. Like he's still below average and that's his problem. Um, but the other issue is you can also find stretches in every year of his career where he looks way better than that, right? You can find like a four game stretch to end his rookie year where he looks fantastic. You can find a four game stretch last season where he's like the best graded quarterback in the NFL the issue with Darnell is that he is the definition of a can-do player. Like yeah. his highlight reel is as good as pretty much any quarterback in the NFL. He can look like Patrick Mahomes if all you're focused on is the good. The thing that separates him from Patrick Mahomes is how often those good things happen, what happens in between, and how much crap comes along with them. And like that is his problem is that at the moment there's a weight of crap that comes with them. And they don't show up as consistently as actually good players. So he enters this this season in this er, in this sort of world of well, if he doesn't have some kind of consistency this year, then we're in this realm of the Jay Cutlers and the Jameis Winstons, where we're going to spend the next ten years saying uh, next year, like next year is when he puts it all together. We eliminate like next year is the year. He's still young. Right. And that's the thing is that there's always a caveat, right? The, like Cutler and, and Jameis had it for years and Darnold's getting this. Well, he's younger than Joe Burrow. There's still time. And there is, but like at some point you need to see like a demonstrable improvement. Otherwise, why will it happen next year? Like the fact that he's young is not a reason that it will happen next year. It's just a reason to potentially keep waiting and keep rolling the dice. But at some point you have to cut your losses you know, you can't still like, you can't keep just spinning the roulette wheel and saying, well, eventually it'll, it'll, you know, hit, eventually it'll be my number, but at which point you're, you know, a hundred grand in the hole and pawning your house in Vegas. Like at some point you just have to cut your losses. Let's discuss the youth thing for a second, because there's, there were always jokes going around about how young Stafford still was, right? Cause he came into yeah. the league at 21. Um, his first year in 2009, he had a 45 grade. And then in 2010, only played 176 snaps, but that was the year that he came back. Remember, he like really busted up his arm, but he went back out there, showed all this toughness. But he um, he looked really good on a, in a limited sample size. But you didn't get to see Stafford again until 2011. He had a 76 grade. So then it was like, okay, here's year three, young guy, uh, his 23 year old season. Now he's starting to figure it out. You would go back and say, okay, a 76th grade. By the way, he threw for 5,000 yards and all that stuff. Stafford in year three of his career should have been clear upward tra- tra- trajectory. That just should be getting better every single year from now on. So we went from a 76 in year three down to a 73 and then up to an 80 and then down to a 68 and down to a 65 and then back up to an 81 and then a 78, a 77, an 82. You know, by year three, if you go back now that we have hindsight, you could go back and look at Stafford and say, okay, we found his range, you know? So every year of his career, he's graded between 65 and 82, which in PFF terms, that's not a massive range. That means in a given year, you might rank eighth or ninth in a given year. You might rank 20th, 21st, 22nd, maybe a little bit lower. Um, So yeah, it's not this complete upward trajectory, but for Darnold got two years in the sixties. It's like, all right, you got to show at least one of those 75s to show us, you're going to be like, this is a make or break a year just to show you're in the Stafford mid-tier range or Cutler mid-tier range. That's Cutler the majority of his career. I'll go through his his stuff, too, because Cutler showed, um, you know, some Shanahan stuff in there, too. But Cutler was good early in his career. He showed some great stuff early on. His, uh, what was it, his second, his third year, too, he peaked, 79. So if you're Cutler, 51 and 06, limited time, then a 70. And then a 79. Look at this. Cutler's getting better. He's the right. perfect big-armed cannon for an arm guy that's just going to get better and better and better. His best year, though, was 2008 against the Broncos, 70, uh, with the Broncos, 79. Um, and then he goes 63, 66, 68, 72. Hey, there's an 82, the 2013 Bears. I'm not going to read every single grade. But the point is, you pretty much are who you are at some point. 
then there's rare cases. We don't have Rich Gannon grades, but like Rich Gannon all of a sudden at 36 years old became an MVP candidate. That stuff does happen every now and then. But by year three, you kind of know what you have in a quarterback for the most part. And I don't know that it, I don't know that it's going to happen anymore, right? Because there's just, everybody is always a, there's a certain um, environment that you need to have those things evolve, right? So Rich Gannon got a shot late in his career because it was this Darth of quarterbacks where if you go back and look at the 32 starting quarterbacks of that era, you've got some essentially joke candidates, you know, the bottom of roster or the bottom rung of the NFL starting group was wretched. Um, and that was the case, you know, up until relatively recently, but I don't think it's the case anymore. Like the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now are not jokes. They're not abysmal. They're not disasters. So this idea that a guy like a Rich Gannon, you know, eight years into his career or whatever is somehow going to get like this, uh, this rejuvenation chance because there's no other option, like because there is no alternative, you you have to do something I, I just don't know that that's going to happen at the moment because there's too many quarterbacks like who would be like, who would be the equivalent of a rich gannon that suddenly gets a shot to revive himself now Tannehill. like Tannehill, yeah but even Tannehill, like he's mid-20s like he hasn't late well, 20s where not, is he he's 30 he's over 30 now i mean he's been in the league for at least eight years now um it's not that josh so josh mccown could have been the guy that same year that Cutler had that nice year in 2013. He got hurt. Uh, Josh McCown comes in, has an outstanding half season. Yeah. And it was, and he was about 34, 35 at the time. Um, all he, and it was like, Oh, is this, is it going to turn around? The bucks gave him big money. And then he just, you know, turned back into Josh McCown and was a journeyman the rest of his career. But um, it looks like he could have been the next Gannon maybe. Yeah, that would that was probably the last one that had a shot of achieving it. I guess yeah. depending on what your age threshold is, Tannehill could be that guy. Um, but it, it's it's not easy, I think, to get that opportunity anymore in a way that it would have been quite like not that long ago. I mean, we right. I, I always talk about the like the way the league was when Alex Smith got his hundred million dollar contract, right? Like Alex Smith should never have gotten a contract of that sum of money, but the prospect was if you don't give it to Alex Smith, you end up with like the Brody Croyles of the world starting a quarterback again. And we're just not going back there. Like we're not doing that again. It took us too long with this sequence of disasters. We have to give Alex Smith a hundred million dollar contract. We're just not in that world anymore. Like Jameis Winston's and Cam Newton's up until recently were on the street. Like those are guys that are better than, I mean, they're probably better than Alex Smith. And they're getting no money, not like let alone a hundred million dollar contract. They can't get starting jobs. So the the league is just in a different place in it than it used to be in terms of quarterback availability. So this idea of like a late career revival, I just don't think is is happening. And then the other thing that does is it it puts pressure on the guy to get it earlier because Again, like before, you had to you had to wait on a on a Sam Darnold, right? You had to keep giving him chances and keep giving him chances, because again, the prospect of Brody Croyle starting for you, you don't have to do that anymore. Like if Sam Darnold isn't the guy, kick him to the curb, take another shot, and you're probably going to be at least as good, if not better. So we've talked about that a lot, right? The, I, th- I think you laid it out pretty well as far as how much quarterback talent there is. Is there a fantasy football esque strategy that could be out there? where teams just say I could either swing for the fences and try to get a top 10 quarterback all the time, which I think is always the best option is having a top 10 quarterback, of course, but say you're a team like the Colts who just took a one year flyer on Phillip rivers. Should they go full fantasy football year to year and just kind of stream quarterbacks, but you know, on a yearly basis, not a weekly basis. So you grab rivers for a year. Maybe you get cam Newton next year for a season. Maybe Ben Roethlisberger is free in a couple of years and you grab him when he's 40 uh, maybe Mariota by then needs to be rejuvenated. Are those options on one-year flyers any worse? Because the Colts, by all, by all, they probably aren't picking in the top 10 or 15. They're probably not going to get a shot at the top guy. Are they actually better off, certain teams, if, they have, if you keep a good nucleus together, actually rotating through some of those high-end quarterbacks? I think there's – I mean, the Vikings essentially did that in the 90s. They it wasn't like a one year thing, but they just cycled through. Like they had Wade Wilson, Rich Gannon, Jim McMahon, Warren Moon, Brad Johnston, Randall Cunningham, Jeff George. 
those guys all played in the same decade. Um, and it's not like they played in the same decade because each one of them was a disaster. Like, you know, teams have cycled through quarterbacks at that frequency before, but it's usually because they all suck. Like all of those guys played pretty well for the Vikings and yet they just continually cycle through those guys. So I think there's, a, there's a way of doing it um, where that, that functions and that works. But I think like the overall point is that it, it puts pressure on guys like Darnold to actually show something. And what's really unfortunate for him is that I don't know that the situation is going to be dramatically better for the jets. Now we've talked a lot about the offensive line already. Let's just say that they're they're The thing that, jumped out at me about Darnold is he has one of the broadest ranges of outcomes of any quarterback, right? Highest variance. He's like Jameis. He can be great. He can be terrible. He can be anywhere in the middle. The Jets offensive line, I think, is similar in that their range of outcomes is all the way from one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL to somewhere in the middle of the pack. Um, They massive turnover on that group, but we don't very little in the way of certainty. Connor McGovern is probably the most certain of the players they have and he's coming off one good year in what three or four in the NFL. Like, so even that is a relative gamble. Um, so the offensive line might not be any better to protect him. So that's a problem. The receivers, they, the receivers, they added a couple, but one of them is like a direct replacement for essentially their best receiver over the last few years um, in Robbie Anderson. And we don't know if he will play to that same level. Brashad Perriman looked fantastic, but it was fantastic for like a three-week stretch. Can he be as good as Robbie Anderson has been for them for the last few years? Who knows? I mean, Denzel Mims is a guy we liked, but now that's a lot resting on the shoulders of a rookie, so the receiving core might not be any better. You talk about Darnold's volatility. I look at that receiving core as maybe being as volatile as it gets. With Perriman, with Mims, Jameson Crowder is pretty good. The O-line, there's the Jets might have the widest range of outcomes of any team in the league. If right. Arnold hits, Across if the, the receivers hit, if all the O linemen hit, things good things will happen. They still have questions at at cornerback, but um, the Jets have a wide range of outcomes as well. Here's here's the other piece of college analysis that I put on Darnold's that that let me that gave me a more favorable outlook. I, I thought Darnold's really good, short area accuracy, intermediate throwing, the stuff that is, you know. 80%, 85% of NFL throws, the stuff that's most important, he's pretty good at. He was good at USC. He's been pretty good in the NFL, um, throwing the ball up to 20 yards. One to 20 yard throws, he's about 22nd over the last few years. Not bad, um, but cer- you know, certainly not disastrous, not great. Um, but he struggled on the deep ball, both at USC and in the NFL. But the same analysis we've applied to Josh Allen, where his deep ball numbers were atrocious last year, uh, Darnold has been more consistently poor over four years of grading thrown at 20 plus yards, but those stats are sometimes the actual production is often dictated by the receiving receiving talent. You can just throw jump balls. If you just give guys opportunities in some certain years, you're going to have good numbers down the field. It also is something um, we've seen Tom Brady improve it through the years. We've seen other guys kind of improve their deep accuracy through the years. So there's a little bit of QB improvement there and there's a little bit of uh, luck factor and uh, supporting cast dependency there. My thought was, well, okay, Donald's at least pretty good at the important stuff. You know, he'll, he'll have, he'll be dependent on the supporting cast and, and the, the deep numbers will be okay. That hasn't been the case yet. So um, he's like 50th in PFF grade on uh, 20 plus yard throws since entering the league. It's bad. Um, so that hasn't improved either because of the supporting cast or because of Sam Darnold. And that's, um, that's hindering his, uh, you know, his development as well. Yeah. And the concern is because all these areas are wide ranging uh, outcomes, Darnold, the offensive line, the receivers, like there's a world where all of those come together and the jets suddenly look good. Um, But when you're relying on so many of those things to pan out, like the chance of all of them hitting are minimal, right? The chance of none of them hitting are minimal. Some, the chances are somewhere in the middle is going to happen, but Darnold needs, you need a, the quarterback to get it. And then you need at least one of the others to get it for Darnold to be helped. Um, Otherwise, even if he improves, he's working against everything else around him. So I just, it seems that they're in they're They've got a really small target to hit for Darnold to actually take this big step forward. 
and prove that he can be the guy. The only question is how much, um, you know, how much time is the fact that he's young going to buy it? Like, are they going to be willing to give him more of a shot because he is younger than Joe Burrow? Um, or do they say, look, this is three years at this point and we haven't seen it. So like, it's time to take another swing. Well, it's a good discussion. It goes beyond just Sam Donald. It's make or break season for him, but there's a little QB philosophy. Where's the league going philosophy, a little Jets discussion. We did have a couple of YouTube listeners saying, talk about the coach because there's not a lot of people don't have a lot of faith in, uh, in Adam Gase as either a head coach or uh, an offensive mind. Was he just elevated by having Peyton Manning that one season? I think it's a fair question. Um, I don't know that Gase has really had great offenses, uh, but I will say in 2017 or 2018, we were talking about Tannehill with the lowest. He went from worst to first, remember, PFF grade. He had the lowest PFF grade, but between screen passes, between yards after the catch, um, generally whatever, lucky plays or whatever, Tannehill had pretty good stats in 2018, schemed up plays. I mean, that that was the case. Um, I don't know that that's Gase's history, really. He's been a, on the lower end of our play calling metrics and all that stuff through his years uh, as a play caller. So I don't think Gase is doing Darnold any favors with the Jets. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, and, and I think Gase is another guy entering that make-or-break year for the Jets. The offensive line, the receivers, Darnold, Gase is there as well because, I mean, he essentially made his name as a quarterback guru um, being, right. you know, one of the guys that was attached to that Peyton Manning insane season in Denver. Like, I mean, if you're a quarterback guru, you need to have your young quarterback with all the talent in the world develop. Otherwise, what were you doing? And then let, let's wrap it up with this uh, while we're talking about the Jets. Le'Veon Bell, nothing sums up running back dependency on their situation, run blocking, pass game and all that stuff. than Le'Veon Bell in his stats last year, he actually had a better rushing grade 69.9 than he did in 2017. The last time we saw him with the Steelers 67.7. So the better rushing grade last year got him to average only 3.2 yards per carry compared to four yards per carry with the lesser rushing grade back in 2017. So um, the idea that Le'Veon Bell was going to make life easier on Sam Darnold. Well, that's certainly isn't the case. Now, if all those other pieces are pretty good and you do have three legitimate receivers and you have Le'Veon Bell maybe as a receiving weapon out of the backfield and Chris Herndon at tight end, a lot of what if, what if, what if, what if, then it looks like Le'Veon Bell's a nice little fifth pass game option and then life is a little bit easier. But a lot of things have to happen first before we get into Le'Veon Bell potentially aiding in Darnold's development in the pass game or just even as a runner. Yeah, I mean... It, it... I guess I am negative on this, but it, it sounds very negative, the outlook. I mean, like I say, there is a world where all of this stuff comes together and the Jets look fantastic. But I think we're reaching a point where um, Darnold, like this is the season where Darnold, he needs to step up and show a serious development. And even though he's battling uphill, he's working against a bunch of factors potentially that are not helping him. Um, you know, the Cleveland Browns spent this offseason essentially fixing all those areas um, in a way that I think there's a degree of certainty in terms of how well they did that. Like the Jets, the Jets tried to help them as well, but there's a lot less certainty, I think, about how successful their attempts will be. Um, so he might not have the help that they think he had or that they tried to give him. And, you know, you've always been, you've always skewed on the side of sort of the benefit of the doubt in terms of these high volatile players, the Jameis Winstons, the Cam Newtons, the, the Sam Darnolds. Um, I've always been on the other side of things of being like, I don't, I mean, unless there's a reason to think that this inconsistency will disappear, I'm not expecting it to. So at that point, I, I think Darnold's basically on borrowed time at this point, unless he shows anything different. All right. So I'll remain optimistic in my outlook. I think he'll take a step forward this year. I don't think it shows up statistically though. I think that is going to be the issue when we talk about make or break year, it's got to be from more of a PFF grading standpoint. Hey, look, his grades got better. He still might not have great stats, but there's reasons for that. You know, I think that's mm -hmm. what I'll be looking for as far as Darnold this year is a step forward on a throw-by-throw -throw basis, not necessarily putting up 115 passer rating or anything like that. So see how it plays out, man.
All right. That'll do it. Let's go. Uh, so Monday, Montana Young. We'll have a little uh, preview here. I'll tell you what. There's There was probably three times during the episode where I kind of got chills, you know, the music. And Tyler was just was great with that. And I thought you told a good story for the most part, stitched it together nicely. But there was definitely a few parts that uh, that were awesome, that I, I, I think it told a good chronological story. Montana Young and all the different decisions and ebbs and flows of, of the whole QB controversy. Because we went, uh, we're talking about, you know, the 80s now. Tyler went into the archives for some uh, Stranger Things-esque synth-type music, you know, to back it up, nice little touch. He didn't follow my uh, my suggestion, which was we rip off some Huey Lewis in the news. You know, nothing screams 80s, like a Huey Lewis sax solo in the middle. But, uh, but he did a good job anyway, despite the lack of Huey Lewis. Love it. So it'll be Montana Young. We'll play uh, play you guys out with a little teaser. That'll be on Monday. And uh, my plan, I'll be back here on uh, on Thursday with uh, the fourth baby somewhere. And uh, yeah, be back to it next week talking nice. talking about the 2020 season. We've got team previews coming out next week. We could do all sorts of fun stuff that's going to be up on the site. Receiver and tight end rankings, I think, next next week. Unit rankings. We, we have plenty to talk about once I get back. Well, good luck with the whole baby thing. We'll see you Thursday. Thank you. Sound good. And we'll see you guys on Monday, Montana Young. And now the teams are getting aligned on the field. There's head coach Phil Walsh. The genius label, I think, perhaps is going to stick with him whether he likes it or not. A very innovative coach. He does things in a peculiar way at times. Joe's football career has blossomed rapidly, something he credits to 49er head coach Bill Walsh. His system that is, is just made it easy for, for me, made it easy for the rest of the team. looking to throw, looking to throw, and he throws into the end zone. Most coaches avoid a quarterback controversy at all costs. Bill Walsh actually fostered one. Well, our strength is a quarterback, but our problem is we have two. There's a quarterback controversy developing. We're going to have to select between Steve Young and Joe Montana. We both respect each other's ability, and, uh, but yet we're friends about it. I have to help him. He has to help me. If Joe's playing, they can support him 100%, make sure that we win. If I'm playing, prepare myself the best I possibly can. Montana is down. Taylor is in the end zone. But Montana is hurt. He is awfully wobbly. And headed for the 49er locker room. Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, I want to play desperately, and I'm going to try to drive everyone nuts till they give me a shot. <laughs> I wanted to tell Joe, Joe, I didn't know, or I wouldn't have put, put us in his body.